goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Saturday, August 25th. Um, I'll be honest. Yesterday was it was a tough week. I took a personal day. It was Friday. I knew that I could. I knew we're a week away, really, from college football and from really all football together. So I thought I'm going to take a day off. I knew I'd do the show today instead of yesterday. And I know the show is better today because I didn't do it yesterday. It would not have been as good yesterday. And uh, yeah, I don't really feel bad. I, it, honestly, it'll be better. I'm, I'm glad we. T- you know, I took an extra day to prepare, an extra day to rest, and kind of figure out my head. Um, I took a night off. I watched Children of Men. It's a fantastic movie. Highly recommend it. It spoke to me. It was a, you know, I'll get it at the end of the show. How about this? At the end of the show, I'll talk about Children of Men. It's a fantastic movie. I highly recommend. I want to start with this. The NFL added a new rule in 2018. It was a, it's now a foul for a player to lower their head and initiate contact with his helmet against an opponent. So whether you're on offense or defense, you can't lower your helmet and initiate contact into another player with it. And this rule has been highly highly widely criticized everybody hates it and, and i want my opinion to be very clear on this new rule i don't like it i don't like the new rule it feels like it was rushed out it's ambiguous it can be misinterpreted it can be interpreted a number of ways i like clarity and the new nfl rule the helmet rule lacks clarity i want to be very very clear my opinion is the rule lacks clarity it's far from perfect but i also want to be i want it known I understand why the new rule exists. I understand why it happened. And Richard Sherman said the rule is somewhat impossible. I I agree. I agree. It's basically impossible to follow the rule as it's written now. And the Vikings head coach, Mike Zimmer, came out. He said, people are going to lose their jobs over this new rule. He was highly, highly critical of the new rule. Again, sadly, I agree. People are going to lose their jobs. The impact of this rule is going to ripple everywhere both positive and and negative. Everybody's mad at the NFL. I'm not mad at the NFL. I'm like the only person. I think I kind of get it. I've heard people call the rule change sudden, abrupt. People said they got no warning. The NFL just made a rule change out of nowhere. I, I believe the NFL made a defensive move. The NFL made a defensive move when they changed the helmet rule. I want you to think of the last time you responded something suddenly. Last time you made a quick, sudden change. Think about it. Was it a defensive move? Last time you swerved on the freeway. Well, you swerved on the road because there was something there. You had to avoid it. It was a defensive move. Or you're walking around public. Why do you suddenly dart around a corner and hide in a building or hide around a corner? Because you see someone you don't want to talk to. It's a defensive move. When someone does something very suddenly, very rapidly, out of nowhere, it's a defensive move. See, it's the suddenness. It's the suddenness of the defensive of the NFL rule change. It's the way the NFL rule changed the rule overnight. The suddenness makes me think this was a defensive move by the NFL. That's why I understand it. I lived in L.A. very briefly. I lived in L.A., Got to drive a cool car. It wasn't my car. It was awesome. It was uh, an amazing experience. But I saw an accident while I was driving around in Los Angeles. One guy slammed on his brakes. The guy behind him swerved out of the way to avoid rear-ending the guy in front of him. When the second guy swerved, he hit a third car. See, Richard Sherman is an unintended consequence of this new rule. He's the third car. I think the NFL swerved to avoid a collision... And they changed the rules to make the game safer, in their opinion. 
And when they swerved, they hit another person. <laughs> they hurt Richard Sherman. They hurt Mike Zimmer. They hurt people who care about defense all over the NFL. Fans, members of the NFL, everybody. So I think the rule change was intended to help public opinion. We're going to stop helmet-to-helmet contact. We're going to change the NFL for the better. That was the intended consequence, the, the intention. They swerved to avoid a bad, nasty hit. But in doing so, they're really hurting a lot of people, hurting fans, hurting players, hurting coaches. The impact of this rule is going to be some positive, right? There's going to be less helmet-to-helmet hits. There's going to be some good stuff that comes out of the new helmet rule. But there's also going to be some unintended bad consequences. So I don't, I don't like the new rule. I'm not a fan of it. I think it's, it's, it's kind of weirdly written. It's ambiguous. What does it really mean? How can it be interpreted? I don't really like the new rule, but I understand why it exists. I understand why the NFL did this. The NFL's goal is to make the game safer. They want 30 years from now, the NFL to still be a thing. They're trying to make the game safer. It's a defensive move. The NFL made a a sudden defensive shift to protect themselves. Because as science evolves, as people's opinions evolve, parents stop letting their kids play football. It's a real question. I don't know if I'll let my kids play football. Probably. If they want to play, they'll play. I'm not going to force them to. But the reason why the NFL made this rule change is because they want to protect themselves from lawsuits, from public opinion. You might be mad now, but 30 years from now, this rule is going to look back, be looked back on and gone, hmm, that was probably a good move. Less people had head, head, had head injuries. Can't even talk. I think the NFL felt like they had to preserve the game or else they were going to have a significant problem down the road. It's a preventative move. It's a defensive move. Moms are going to be watching this. They're, not, they're going to see less helmet-to-helmet hits. It's encouraging if you're a mom. And the fear is that eventually perception of the NFL is going to get so bad, people will stop watching. It might hurt viewership this year. I don't know if it will, will or will not. But the goal of the NFL was to do something positive, to help the goodwill of the NFL, to make it safer. Whether they did that or not, I don't know. But I think that's the goal. That's why the NFL made this rule. They were trying to protect themselves, and they were trying to protect the league. It was a defensive move. They swerved to avoid a collision. Now, it looks like they hit someone else on the way out, right? It doesn't look like it was a perfect move. But I I understand why the NFL made the rule change that they did. I get it. I don't like it, but I understand it. All right, we have a great show today. I'm going to talk about Nick Foles. Uh, It appears like Nick Foles is coming back down to reality, quite frankly. Uh, I'm going to talk about Baker Mayfield's preseason struggles. We're going to talk about Khalil Mack, a potential Khalil Mack trade. Where should he go? Why should he go there? I'll talk about John Gruden. We're going to talk about Andrew Luck. I'll update you on Blake Bortles. He does play today, so I'm not going to go too in-depth. Monday will be the big Blake Bortles show. We're going to talk about Todd Gurley. I have a really cool preseason story. Great show outlined today. I'm really excited to share with you guys. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, Help me grow this show by telling your friends about it. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow the show by sharing it with people you know. It it would be a great help to me. I'd really appreciate it. All right. Um, I saw Nick Foles and the Eagles play the other day. You know, they played the Cleveland Browns. And Nick Foles really struggled. He had two interceptions. He lost a fumble. Only had 127 yards passing. It was an ugly, ugly game. Doug Peterson, the Eagles head coach, even said, look, it was really disappointing. I want to ask you, what's my rule about the preseason? 
I always say this. If a player does well, don't read into it. That's because players, especially quarterbacks, are supposed to do well in the preseason. The preseason is set up, especially for quarterbacks, to be successful. There's a, a term called vanilla defenses. You might have heard it. You might not know what it means. Vanilla defenses are simplified defenses. They're not complicated. It's when an, a team runs their base defense. No weird blitzes. No weird moves from the safety. It's not a complicated defense. And another benefit, the reason why that helps quarterbacks, A, it's simple. And teams aren't scheming for a, a team. No one's game planning for a preseason game. So if you have a, a really talented player, a, a defense isn't planning a way to stop them. They're just running their defense the best they can. So it's set up for you to succeed. If you're a quarterback, you should do well in the NFL preseason. It's set up for you to succeed. See, the NFL preseason is kind of like arm wrestling a six-year-old. I've been on this for two weeks. You're supposed to do well. If you don't do well, it's a worry. But if you do well, it's the expectation. So again, if a player struggles in the preseason, it's very telling. So, so Eagles fans are probably mad hearing this. But look, Nick Foles appears to be coming back down to earth. Nick Foles. He's deflating. We're learning what he really is. (laughs) Love it or hate it, that's the truth. Why was Nick Foles such a great story last year? Why was it so good? Why was Nick Foles' story so impressive? Because Nick Foles' success was unexpected. Nobody could have seen that happening. Nick Foles came out of nowhere. He defied all expectations and won a Super Bowl. Nick Foles was a Super Bowl MVP. It was awesome. It was surprising. But that level of play is not the norm for Nick Foles. Nick Foles, here's the history of Nick Foles. He has one good year in Philadelphia under Chip Kelly. Then he has a bunch of years as a journeyman, as a backup. And then he has two good games in Philadelphia last year in the, in the postseason. He had a good game against the Vikings and a good game against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And the Falcons in the playoffs, he struggled. He didn't look good. He looked ugly at the end of last season when he filled in for Carson Wentz. What's the reality of Nick Foles? The reality of Nick Foles. The majority of his career is not great. See, last, this time last year, I, I remember very vividly because was, I was back at college again. In August last year, we had a solar eclipse. You might remember it. It was August or September, one of the two. I remember being on campus when it happened, though. The moon went in front of the sun. It got colder. It got darker. Uh, for like 10, 15 minutes, I remember. It was, it was darker. It was colder. I didn't need sunglasses anymore. It was very weird. But that's not the norm. A solar eclipse is not what normally happens with the sun. Normally, the moon isn't blocking the sun. And if you said that, oh, this is how it always is, you'd be wrong. Because guess what? That's a weird occurrence. It only happens like one every 30 years. It's not the norm. A solar eclipse is not the norm. <laughs> Nick Foles, the way he played in the postseason last year was a solar eclipse. It's not how he normally plays. It was a weird occurrence that doesn't normally happen. For most of Nick Foles' career, he's been average. To below average. That's what Nick Foles is. Nick Foles is a backup quarterback. You might hate that. You might love that. But that's the truth. Look, there's a reason everybody around Nick Foles last year got promoted. Every member of that staff that worked with Nick Foles that helped him win a Super Bowl. John DiFilippo, the quarterback coach last year for the Eagles. He got promoted. He's now the Vikings offensive coordinator. Frank Reich, the Eagles offensive coordinator last year. He got promoted. He's now the Indianapolis Colts head coach. Everybody around Nick Foles got promoted. Why? Why did that happen? That's because people around the NFL realized how incredible it was they got so much out of Nick Foles. I like Nick Foles. Nick Foles is a great story. He's not a great quarterback. He's a backup. He's average 
to below average. It's, he's just not a great quarterback. He, I know he's, he's, he's really popular. He's leading the, he's one of the top jer- uh, jersey sales guys in the NFL. That's awesome. That's exciting. But slow down. Lower your expectations about Nick Foles because he's not a great quarterback. He's good. He's had good moments. He's, he's solid. He's a solid backup. But he's not a superstar quarterback. That's why he didn't go anywhere this offseason. You know why? I hate to say it, but he's a backup. That's what he is. That's what his role is. So lower your expectations about Nick Foles. I know this isn't popular. This might make you angry, but that's just the honest truth. The way Nick Foles played last year in the postseason was an anomaly. It wasn't the way he normally plays. We saw that in the preseason. We saw that the other day against the Browns. When everything was set up for him to succeed, I know they're missing players, but who cares? The defenses were vanilla. He's not playing against great players. He should have done well, and he didn't. He looked ugly. How do you explain two fumble, two interceptions, a fumble? It's not good. That's not good. I don't care who you are. That's not, not how you play. So I think, I think Nick Foles, look, I know it's one preseason game, but it's still pretty telling to me. That's who Nick Foles is. All right. Look, I, I often say, I say this all the time. I've said this all preseason. I often say great players are supposed to do well in the preseason. But it's a little bit different for rookie quarterbacks. I'm, I'm willing to, it, it's different if you're a rookie quarterback. You're new to the league. You're, a rookie quarterback is still developing. I often compare rookie quarterbacks to beards. The time between, I'm, I'm clean shaven right now. The time between me being, I just shaved yesterday, to suddenly having a beard is about two months. And in that two months, there's a really ugly growth period. And if you want a fully developed beard, you have to put up with the ugly growth period in the middle. That's rookie quarterbacks. So against the Eagles in the preseason, Baker Mayfield wasn't amazeballs. He struggled. He was ugly. He, it wasn't great. He was okay. I mean, he was 8 for 12, 76 yards. But he threw an interception in the red zone. Can't do that. Can't have a pick in the red zone. And uh, I've had some people come, come back to me. Oh, see, Baker Mayfield struggle. And no, it's, that's okay. Look, in fact, that's what I expected from Baker Mayfield. I expected Baker Mayfield to have a struggle. To, to have an ugly period. Again, he's like a beard. He's in the ugly in the middle phase right now where he's still growing the beard. And the truth is, this is good for Baker Mayfield. The fact that Baker Mayfield isn't dominating in the preseason actually helps him. Here's why. Tyrod Taylor is the starter. And Tyrod Taylor should be the starter. He's a better player in the Browns. And some people observing the Cleveland Browns are afraid that the owner for the Browns, Jimmy Haslam, is going to butt in midseason and say, hey, I am demanding Baker Mayfield become the starter. You got to play Baker Mayfield right now. Well, if Baker Mayfield struggles in the preseason, it makes the owner's argument less valid. He has a harder time convincing people, we got to play Baker Mayfield right now. Because it's not really true. Here's the thing. Everyone always says, you know, the owner's going to come in and demand Baker start. Aren't you forgetting something? You're forgetting the general manager, John Dorsey. John Dorsey's the guy who drafted Baker Mayfield. He's the guy who has the final say. I, mean, like, I know the owner has whatever, he gets whatever he wants. But why would you hire a general manager and then immediately undermine him his first year there? That doesn't make any sense. People act like it's just Hugh Jackson, the head coach, and the owner. They completely forget about John Dorsey in this equation. I repeat, John Dorsey drafted Baker Mayfield. Look at the history of John Dorsey. John Dorsey drafted Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers didn't play immediately. John Dorsey drafted Patrick Mahomes. Didn't play immediately in Kansas City. He didn't start until week 17. 
I, I really think it's good. Baker Mayfield struggling is good because it makes it so he can stay on the bench. It means people aren't going to be clamoring for Baker Mayfield to start. Here's the truth. The more Tyrod Taylor plays, the more likely it is the Browns win games. And the more likely it is that Hugh Jackson keeps his job. It's better for everybody. It's better, it's better for Baker Mayfield if he doesn't play because it's better if Hugh Jackson's able to keep his job. Firing Hugh Jackson right now would hurt Baker Mayfield. If Baker Mayfield has to learn a new system next offseason, that hurts him. That's not good for him. The best thing for Baker Mayfield, ironically, is for him to not play so that Tyrod Taylor can play and win more games because Tyrod Taylor's better. I think it's likely that Tyrod Taylor starts most of the year. I, I do. I think that's, that's, that's John Dorsey's MO. That's what happens normally. Again, that's what John Dorsey does. And Tyrod Taylor simply is a better quarterback. Tyrod, Tyrod, I think he likes to be called Tyrod. I'm sorry, it's stuck in my head, Tyrod. Um, look, I'm, I'm just hopeful that Hugh Jackson can keep his job. I really, I really like him. I do. I, uh, I think a five-win season for Hugh Jackson, a five, six-win, seven-win season, that's a massive improvement on last year. They're a better team. I know expectations are high. But uh, if you go from no wins to five or six or seven, it's a job well done. That's great. I just hope that the Browns are patient. I hope the Browns are patient with Baker Mayfield. I hope the Browns are patient with Hugh Jackson. I hope all around the Browns just have patience and they continue to build for their future because I like where they're going. I like their core. I think Tyrod Taylor is great. He's a good placeholder. And I, I actually like Hugh Jackson. I'm rooting for Hugh Jackson. He's like a good man. I think it's good for Baker Mayfield to have consistency because it'll hurt Baker if he has to learn another scheme next year. It's not great. But the truth is history is not on their side. <laughs> Jimmy Haslam fires coaches like that. He fires general managers, fires coaches. They've had quarterback after quarterback, Baker, you know, what? Colt McCoy, Brandon Whedon, uh, Deshaun Kaiser, Johnny Menzel, quarterback after quarterback after coach after general manager after general manager. The Browns are not a good organization. If they were, they wouldn't have gone 0-16 last year. But I, I really, I just hope. I don't have a lot of faith that the Browns are going to make this work because consistently in the past, they've been just all over the place. But man, oh, do I hope. I just hope. I love everybody there. I love everybody in place. I really hope Baker Mayfield is given time. I hope Hugh Jackson is given time to succeed, and I hope all of them keep their jobs. I hope everybody works out. I just don't know that that's actually what's going to happen, but I hope so. And there, there, is, there is a chance. Again, with John Dorsey being there, there is a chance. John Dorsey's the key to everything. He is also advocating for Hugh Jackson to sit Baker Mayfield. That's good. The more cohesion they have, the better it is, and the more likely it is that Hugh Jackson keeps his job. So I'm glad he, Dor John Dorsey's there. He's sanity. He's a reason. And he is what could help Hugh Jackson keep his job. I like Baker Mayfield. I'm not worried about his struggles in the preseason. I think it's good for Baker Mayfield. And I hope they're just patient with Baker Mayfield. All right. I, I want to say something I think is pretty weird. I think it's weird Khalil Mack is still with the Raiders. I think it's weird the Raiders haven't traded Khalil Mack. And actually, I want to reword that in a better way. I want to rephrase it. It's surprising to me somebody hasn't yet traded for Khalil Mack. Why hasn't anybody traded for Khalil Mack? It's surprising to me. It's weird. Khalil Mack is a great pass rusher. He had 10 and a half sacks last year. He's got all these accolades. He was once defensive player of the year. And Khalil Mack doesn't want to be in Oakland. That's the thing. The Raiders have no value. Khalil Mack has no value to the Raiders because he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to sign a deal with the Raiders. He doesn't want to be there at all. He's basically, Khalil Mack is basically useless to the Raiders. 
the Raiders have very little leverage when it comes to Khalil Mack. I don't, uh, I don't know. You would think that the price tag for Khalil Mack, if you're trying to trade for Khalil Mack, you'd think it's actually pretty low because, look, the Raiders can't keep him. All you got to do is outbid the other teams trying to trade for Khalil Mack. I'm of two minds when it comes to a Khalil Mack trade. I have kind of two perspectives here. On one hand, it's like, look, it's pretty clear. He had 10 and a half sacks last year. He's a great player. He's a three-time Pro Bowler. He's a two-time first-team All-Pro. He's In 2016, Khalil Mack was the defensive player of the year. He'd go, yeah, it's a no-brainer. Go get Khalil Mack. However, it's also worth noting, how valuable is Khalil Mack? Because he was healthy all year last year. He, was, he played all 16 games last year. And even with Khalil Mack on their roster, even playing, the Raiders' defense was terrible. His value wasn't very high. It didn't really help a lot. And it's pretty interesting. As NFL rules keep changing, defensive players continue to lose their value. I don't know. Now, here's the other factor, though. A team like the Packers, the Green Bay Packers... I love their secondary. I love their corners. I love their safeties. They have players behind Khalil Mack that could really help him. Because he's a good pass rusher. He gets after the quarterback and the guys defending receivers, that's great. Because the thing is, you can have a great pass rush and that's awesome. But if you don't have anybody guarding receivers, it doesn't matter. The Packers have guys guarding receivers. They have a great secondary. In my mind, it makes sense. The Packers should be the favorite to get Khalil Mack. Look, the defense is in place to get the most out of Khalil Mack. And the, the Packers are in a position, they have a great quarterback, they have a solid defense, add Khalil Mack, that's a better defense. Khalil Mack could be the difference to help the Packers win a Super Bowl. That, that's exciting. As a football fan, I'm like, yes, please, I want to see Aaron Rodgers push for another Super Bowl. He needs help on defense. Because the Packers are going to score points. He just needs help on defense. And the Raiders would benefit from sending Khalil Mack to the Oakland Raiders, more than any other team, because look, you're not going to trade him to a team in your division. Not gonna, you don't really want to trade him to the Jets who are in the AFC. If you trade Khalil Mack to the Packers, he's far away. You're not going to play him until you play a team in the Super Bowl. You won't see him in the playoffs. He's not going to affect your playoff hunt. I think the Packers should be the front runner. The question is, are they aggressive? Are they willing to go after players? Because historically, they're pretty conservative as a franchise. They don't go after large marquee free agents. I wish they would, but they won't. Man, the Packers, the Packers should go after Khalil Mack. If they don't, they're stupid. Because they're just wasting years of Aaron Rodgers' career. You have a great secondary. Go get a great defensive player, a pass rusher, and go after a Super Bowl. That's what makes sense to me. Now, there are a couple other teams in the mix. The Jets are in the mix. The Bears, the Buffalo Bills, the Indianapolis Colts have been mentioned. But here's, if I'm a team looking for Khalil Mack, I would... I, I would want a team with good safeties and good corners, a good secondary behind Khalil, Khalil Mack to acquire him. Because that that's how you get the most out of Khalil Mack. I think the Jets should go for it. That's what, that's what I would do. But the Raiders can't keep him. The Raiders can't keep Khalil Mack. He doesn't want to be there. He's no value to the Raiders. Now, here's the thing you got to know. If you're going to get Khalil Mack, if you're going to trade for Khalil Mack, he wants a new contract. And you should know the history of his agent. Khalil Mack's agent is the same agent that helped Chris Johnson successfully hold out from the Titans. And that holdout got him a four-year deal worth $53.9 million, basically $54 million. This same agent is the same agent that made Patrick Peterson the highest-paid corner in the NFL in 2014. He also got Taven Austin 
way more money than he deserved from a, a, an extension, about $10 million a year. Look, you're going to have to pay Khalil Mack, and he's going to drive up the bargain. He wants to be paid more than Aaron Donald, the big defensive tackle for the Raiders. But the Packers should. I repeat, the Packers should go after Khalil Mack. And the Jets should. Frankly, most teams should. He's, he's going to make your team better. I don't know how much better. It didn't help the Raiders much. But if you have a good secondary, if you have a good players on defense already, add Khalil Mack. That could be the difference. If you're a good team that's on the cusp, that could make you a Super Bowl team. Like the Packers are close. I don't know how good their defense is. If you add Khalil Mack, bam, that could be a Super Bowl. I don't understand why more teams aren't going after Khalil Mack. I don't. I don't know why he's still with the Raiders. I don't know why teams haven't traded for him. I'd be eager to trade for him immediately. I don't get it. I have no idea. If I'm the Packers, if I'm the Jets, if I'm a team on the cusp, I, I, man, I'm trading for Khalil Mack tomorrow. It's, the Packers especially, that's the one I don't get. Why haven't the Packers traded for Khalil Mack? All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, um, I have a theory why John Gruden might struggle. I talked to a professor. I learned a lot the other day. I'll talk about that. I'm going to tell you, I'll give you an update on Blake Bortles. I'm going to share my expectations for Andrew Luck. Talk about Todd Gurley a little bit and then end with a cool preseason story. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips, little short breakouts. Help me grow Strong Opinion Sports by telling your friends about the show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow Strong Opinion Sports by telling your friends about this show. I was pretty hard on Blake Bortles the other day. I was, I was just really hard on Blake Bortles. I said Blake Bortles is not improving, and I got a lot of pushback. I understand. Uh, the people say, no, it's just a preseason. It's just one game. Uh, well, we'll find out. The Jaguars play the Falcons today, and I think that's going to be pretty telling. We will see. I want to point out, everyone that said, it's just one game. It's just a preseason. Uh, okay, I'll point out all the top quarterbacks in the NFL. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo, even Tyrod Taylor. None of the great quarterbacks in the NFL struggle in the preseason. They don't have a bad game. Blake Bortles has a bad game, had a bad game. I, yeah, I don't know how you defend that. It's pretty clear to me Blake Bortles needs to improve this season. And if he doesn't, mm, okay, they're not going to win a lot of games. They're not going to go to the Super Bowl if Blake Bortles doesn't get better. And the Jaguars roster is incredible. They should be doing really well, but their quarterback is holding them back. And Blake Bortles, we've seen his struggles in the preseason. He doesn't appear to be improving. And I don't understand. Why do Jaguars fans keep defending Blake Bortles? Like, I'm asking you, why? Why do you keep defending Blake Bortles? I don't get it. I don't understand. What has Blake Bortles done for you? He's been a disappointment for four years. He, he's got one good game against the Steelers. That's it. That's it. Doug Peterson in his book trashed the Jaguars. They said, oh, the Jaguars just can't beat the Patriots. Because they had a bad quarterback. They couldn't get it done. They kneeled at halftime against the New England Patriots. Hello? Blake Bortles isn't good enough. I don't understand. Like, well, Look, I, I, fine. Say it's one game. <laughs> we'll, we'll watch today. The Jaguars play the Falcons. Does he get better? Probably not. He's probably going to struggle all year because I don't think Blake Bortles is very good. I don't know. I don't get why the Jaguars fans feel they need to defend Blake Bortles. I really don't. <sighs> well, okay, how about this? The last time John Gruden coached an NFL game in the regular season was 2008. Now he's back. 
It's 2018, 10 years later. He's going to return. He'll be back in the regular season in a couple of weeks. And, and I've always said, I've been pretty consistent on John Gruden. I've said, look, it's football. John Gruden knows football. He's going to be successful. He was a broadcaster. He, of course, he kept up with football. He watched a bunch of film. I'm not, I'm, I've never been concerned that John Gruden was eventually going to be successful with the Raiders. I st- I'm, still, I'm still pretty bullish. I think John Gruden's going to succeed. But I want to fine-tune it a little bit. I think year one's going to be tough. I met a professor this week who, uh, he took three years off recently from being a professor. He took three years off from teaching classes. He spent the last three years doing research. He was out of the country doing all this stuff. Working in his field, he's a scientist, he's working in his field, but he hasn't been teaching classes for the last three years. Now he's, he came back to teaching this year. I asked him, hey, okay, well, you came back. What was the, what's been the toughest thing to adjust to? He said the hardest thing for him to adjust to coming back and teaching again has been technology. Technology. The field is the same. He knows his field. He knows, John Gruden knows football. But technology, that's the thing that scares him. That, that, that's the thing that this professor, at least, coming back after only three years, not 10 years, three years, the professor said technology's been his biggest struggle. So just imagine leaving for 10 years. How much technology has changed in the last 10 years? That's, I mean, that's the thing. You look back at the last 10 years, what's, what's changed? iPads. When was the first iPad introduced? In 2010. Two years after John Gruden stopped coaching the NFL, the first iPad was released. Generation one, the first iPad, April something, April like 3rd, 2010. In the time John Gruden has been gone from coaching, technology's advanced leaps and bounds. Now tablets are constantly, consistently used on the sidelines of NFL games. So I think the same way we saw this professor struggle to come, he, he's, he's not struggling, but it's been an adjustment for him. He's been having to adjust to technology. That's going to be something John Gruden's going to struggle with. Look, remember, iPads weren't around when he was a coach last time in the NFL. And the way the NFL's evolved the most in the last 10 years has been the way it's introduced technology on the sidelines. iPads, video, this, that, all kinds of little technology. Uh, Microsoft tablets, you see them all the time on the sidelines. There's a great video of Aaron Rodgers going, ah, and he throws it. He's like in disgust. (laughs) Anybody see the Sam Darnold video the other day? Him and... Josh McCown both wiped their hair. I don't know. But I wonder this. I wonder if in the second half of football games, John Gruden might struggle with making adjustments. Because that's how we use technology now in the NFL. Look, ultimately, John Gruden's going to be successful, I have no doubt. He signed a 10-year deal. He wouldn't have came back. John Gruden wasn't going to come back to the NFL unless he thought he was going to be successful. And that's the benefit of his old show. That old show... Um, you know, the Gruden's QB camp. He got to kind of basically scout every quarterback coming in the NFL. He got to work with, you know, Paxton Lynch and probably knew Paxton Lynch is going to fail. He had to work with Kellen Moore. Knew Kellen Moore, eh, he's not a great arm. But he got to work with Derek Carr. He got to work with Dak Prescott. He got to know, hey, these guys could succeed. They're pretty good. He loves Derek Carr. Look, John Gruden's not going to fail in the long run. But the thing to watch is immediately, how does he deal with making adjustments after halftime? How do the sidelines look for the Raiders? Do they get out-schemed in the second half of games? Because other teams are going to have a leg up on him. They know the technology better. They know how technology works better than John Gruden does. That's a hard one to beat. That's going to be a tough adjustment for John Gruden. That's something to watch if you're me. And that's why I'm going to scale. I scale back to Raiders. I think long-term, three years from now, they're going to be successful. Right now, 
They're still making adjustments. I'm going to give John Gruden some time. He's got 10 years. Give him some patience. But I think initially, the little, little things like that we might not be worried about. Technology, that's going to be a big struggle. That's how the NFL's evolved. He knows football. He knows his field. But the little things like that, that is where John Gruden might struggle this year with the Oakland, Ra- the Oakland Raiders. In Las Vegas, they're moving. Who cares? That's how John Gruden is going to struggle with the Raiders in 2018. So I predicted Andrew Luck and the Colts to go 10-6. and six. And now I want to pull it back. I now want to temper my expectations a little bit from Andrew Luck. I made a comparison I'm really proud of. I thought it was a great – it's a great piece. I, I made a video why I believe in Andrew Luck's shoulder or whatever. It's a great, it's a great piece. I talk about how you know, Drew Brees hurt his shoulder and Drew Brees bounced back. And I read Drew Brees' book. And Drew Brees said, look, I came back stronger, but I had to wait till November till I was good. And I said, look, Andrew Luck's going to be the same way. Don't count on Andrew Luck until November. But I had an error in my thinking. When I said the Colts are going to go 10-6, and six, I knew I, I, in my head, I was like, yeah, Andrew Luck, wait till November, then he'll be 100%. But for some reason, when I made my predictions, I still thought Andrew Luck was going to be good in September and October. He's not. So I want to pull back just a little bit from Andrew Luck's prediction. I, I think he's going to be great in November. But I'm going to take away a loss or two in September and October. I don't think the Colts are a playoff team, and I think that's why. It's just going to take time for him to get in the rhythm of things. I had the right idea. I, I really think I had the right idea. November's right. I just interpreted it the wrong way. For some reason, I was like, in my head, be patient. Wait till November. But then out loud, my mouth said, wait till, you know, he's going to be good in September, October. No, I don't think so. So, I don't know. I think in November's when you can expect a super high level of play from Andrew Luck. That's when Drew Brees said his shoulder was good, was the November after it happened. But September, October, that's going to be tough for the Colts. It's going to be tough sledding for them. Long-term, Andrew Luck's going to be fine. We're probably going to get six, seven more years of him. I really think he's going to bounce back. But this year in particular, he's still coming back into the swing of things. He hasn't played for two years. And so that's why I think it's more likely the Colts go 6-10, and 7-9, than 10-6, and 9-7. My opinion... I think October, September, they're going to be tough for the Indianapolis Colts because their quarterback, Andrew Luck, is still going to be getting back into the swing of things. All right. Um, you know who's not playing in the preseason? Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley is not playing at all in the preseason. Yes. Why aren't more people copying this? I love this move. This is so smart. I often compare running backs to cars. See, look, there's only so many miles the thing can go before it peters out. A car can only really go roughly 300,000 miles, if that. Running backs only can run a certain amount of yards, take a certain number of hits, and then they're just done. I like that. I like the idea of avoiding risks. We saw earlier in the preseason Darius Geist, the running back for the Washington Redskins, tore his ACL, he's out for the year. There's only so many hits a running back can take. I would not let a running back take hits that don't matter. I don't understand why more teams aren't following suit. Why aren't more teams resting their starters, resting their stars? Important players, your star left tackle. Even if he's not a star, if it's a guy at all, your your first your starting tenant's not a star in the NFL, but you need him this year. Don't play him. Don't play guys you need in the preseason. I don't understand. Unless a guy, if a guy's struggling, he needs reps in the preseason, needs to play in the games to get back in the swing of things. If he's like, hey, I need to play, can you play me? Great. 
But if a guy doesn't look like he needs to play or doesn't want to play, don't play him. Look, we saw Tom Brady the other day. He played a bunch, and that made sense to me. He was fine-tuning. He was getting back in the swing of things. He needed that time. He needed to play. But if you don't need to play, don't play him. Why would you? I, I see all these teams taking so many risks. We, last year, Julian Edelman tore his ACL in the, the preseason. Why was he playing at all? If you need him all year, don't play him now. I don't get it. I don't get it, man. If, you, if your guy doesn't need to play in the preseason, don't play him. It's not worth the risk of getting injured. Todd Gurley's not playing at all in the preseason. He's sitting out. Awesome. I love that. More teams need to do that. <clears throat> okay, we're on the last story of the day. I uh, Can I tell you why I love the preseason? Can I tell you why I just I adore the preseason? It's one of my favorite parts of the year. I'm a nerd. I, I love backup quarterbacks. I'm weird. Like Josh Dobbs, guys like that. I love watching backup quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm just a weirdo. It's why I love the preseason. And I got to watch EJ Manuel play against the Packers the other day. It was, oh, it was, it was glorious. It was awesome. It's why I love preseason football in a nutshell. Because EJ Manuel is battling for his life. He's battling for his job. He's battling to be the Raiders' backup quarterback. A job. Like you or me, we need jobs to make money. EJ Man- it's the same way with EJ Manuel. If EJ Manuel gets cut by the Raiders, he might not play in the league ever again. This is his last shot. And I want you to remember how far EJ Manuel has fallen from grace. He's a former Florida State quarterback. He was drafted in the first round in 2013 by the Buffalo Bills. He was 16th overall, first round. And this guy has fallen so far from grace. He was once... Thought to be the next Buffalo Bills franchise quarterback, and he wasn't. Disappointing. It probably hurt him. It sucked. And uh, I watched him in the pack- against the Packers in the preseason, just struggling. He just had a bad game. First, he did this. Ooh. Third and 11, the high snap manual. And down he goes, back at the 25-yard line. And I, I watched that, and I cringed. I was like, oh, oh, no, EJ Manuel. <laughs> you got to catch the snap. You got to do that. Ball security is so important. And then, after he dropped the snap, he recovered it. But then he did this. Watch what happens next. Manuel. Stepping up. And the ball gets popped loose. EJ chose not to slide. And at this point, I can just imagine EJ Manuel is going to hear it from John Gruden in a meeting somewhere. I can just imagine John Gruden... Chucky comes out. He's just screaming at EJ Manuel. What are you doing? Ball security. It's the thing we preach all the time. I, I, can, I can hear it in my head. I can hear EJ Manuel getting chewed out by John Gruden. But he hung in there. Next, this happened. He kept battling. This happened next. Roberts is in the slot This is left. where he wants to throw it. Looking left. Roberts oh, yeah. just off his fingertips. And man, I was so disappointed. When that guy dropped that touchdown pass... Oh, because I, I know what's at stake here. I know E.J. Manuel is just battling for his job. I know E.J. Manuel's doing everything he can to hang on to his job as a Raiders quarterback. But ultimately, he hung in there. This is where the story gets cool. He goes from struggling. He drops a snap. He loses a fumble. He almost has a game going, a go-ahead touchdown, doesn't make it. He leads the team down. He hands off a touchdown on the second-to-last drive. They take the lead, ultimately win the game. That's so cool. That's great drama. EJ Manuel hung in there. This is what happened. Watch. Six-0 lineman, a couple of tight ends, a fullback, and here comes Warren. 
so cool. E.J. Manuel led the game-winning touchdown drive for the Raiders. He probably held on his job for one more day because of that. That is why I love preseason football. That's why preseason football is worth watching. Those little moments. This guy's trying to keep his job. This guy's trying to hang around. This, that. Little stuff like that. That is why I just enjoy watching the NFL preseason. That, it's so cool to me. Watching a guy battle to keep his job. E.J. Manuel is still on the roster because he was able to win. If he fumbles again, if he throws an interception, if he turns the ball over one more time, he's probably cut. And that, if you know little stories like that, that is why the NFL preseason is so exciting for a guy like me. I, I don't care. Tom Brady's going to shred that NFL preseason. It's more of these little battles. Like Deshaun Kaiser struggled. He made a huge mistake against the Raiders. E.J. Manuel redeemed himself. He kept his job for one more week. Things like that. Those little moments are so cool to watch. That's why I love the NFL preseason. That's all I have today, guys. That's my entire show. Um, I just want to say I watched a movie called Children of Men last night. It's a Clive Owen movie. It's now one of my favorite movies. It's, it's incredible. It's a fantastic movie. And the message of that movie, without spoiling it all, it's that we get so caught up in messages sometimes. We get so caught up in politics or the rules or you know religion or doing things, quote, the right way. We get so caught up in doing things a certain way. Sometimes we forget what's actually most important. We forget the end goal. We get so caught up in doing it, following the rules, we forget why the rules are in place at all. Forget what we're doing, what we're after. And that's why I love the movie Children of Men. I highly recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Um, Man, it's fantastic. There's these long, drawn-out shots. We're like, they're still rolling? Oh, my goodness. Uh, It's awesome. So I highly recommend watching Children of Men. It's a fantastic movie. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, help me grow the show by telling your friends about it. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow Strong Opinion Sports. Now, if you're still listening, maybe you tuned me out by now. Um, next week, I'm going to update my NFL predictions. I've been working very hard. Uh, I'm slowly going back through and, and reorganizing th- some things. I'm going to give this team, like the Ravens probably are going to win more games. The Colts are going to win less games. Teams are going up. Teams are going down based on the things I've seen in the preseason, little small stuff. So I'm going to go back through and reevaluate, and I will update my NFL predictions next week. I can't wait to share that with you guys. And uh, for now, just, man, enjoy the preseason. We'll talk about Blake Bortles next week. He's playing the the Falcons today. I'm excited. I think he's going to struggle. We'll see. Time will tell. So um, just hang in there, guys. Hope you have a great week. I will talk to you guys on Monday. But um, bum, bam, we are done. Bye.